right, Jen, let's do this. I'm so excited to have you join us today. For those of you who don't know, um, Jen is uh, the founder of an amazing magazine called Grain Granite. She is uh, a community builder, photographer, and an amazing writer. So looking forward to this conversation. And uh, Jen, earlier today, I was I was reading something you wrote and you were sharing about you know, kind of this wrestling with God that uh, maybe you've been doing for some time now. Um, and I'm curious, like what you have to say about that, like, what's your relationship like with God? And uh, how do you wrestle? Mm. Well, um, thank you for having me and such a beautiful introduction. It's so fun to be sharing space with you again. Um, and wow, we're diving right into the deep end right from the beginning. I love it. <laughs> I, oh gosh, it's such an interesting question. And I have to admit that it's um, been challenging for me to do faith and community um, as of late. It's something that I'm working my way back up to because I have never been more judged as a human being than I have for my faith. And I actually, I became Catholic when I was 25 and people often will ask me, well, why did you choose Catholicism? And I, and I always answer, I didn't choose it. It chose me. Hmm. And I, truly have no other way of explaining it other than that. And it's a very beautiful story, the steps that kind of led to that place. But I have never been one of those people that constantly is in a state of surrender. I fight tooth and nail. I am so stubborn and I want to know the answers and I want to understand mm. and there has been just things in life that I have struggled to reconcile and wrestling for me is resistance. It's like how it's trying to make sense of the suffering in the world. Mm -hmm. Like why, why did that person have to die and they could have been saved and why do people go through such terrible, horrible things. And even the little day-to-day -day struggles that add up, right? They pile up and they break your spirit sometimes because it never feels easy. And the flip side of that, I would argue that it's not actually like my relationship with God is a struggle because I make it that way. <laughs> not because, not because of God being part of the struggle, but I'm the one who's constantly like kicking and screaming, like it just constantly wrestling around all the time, trying to be like, no, I'm, I would need you to answer me now. I would like, so why do you think you want to understand so much? Like what, what are you hoping to achieve by understanding? I want to know that it's going to be okay. What does that mean to be okay? I like, I don't know. Like after That's you die or just the whole scheme of things? You know, I feel like I, 
was a girl who came into this world with a really fearful heart. Mm. I just naturally came into existence afraid of the heaviness of the world, like af- afraid of not being able to carry the weight of the, the pain. And I have a better understanding now that, you know, being an empath impacts that. Like I, I have to be careful about the kind of energy that I am surrounded with because it, it does impact me and being a community builder becomes a part of that, right? When you kind of hold space for other people's pain and what they're going through, um, it, it takes some time to start to learn how to separate what is mine to carry, like to what is mine to absorb and what is mine to observe, if you will. And then there's like raising children and having a husband that I love deeply. And I want to know that it's going to be okay, that we are going to be okay. And I guess when I say that, it's a great question because I don't know that anyone's ever asked me that before. Like, what does it mean to be okay? But I mean, we've had friends who have lost their children and, and I don't, I don't know that I would be okay if something like that happened. I would like to think that I would find a way through and that I would be able to adapt the pain, but I can't say that I would. And so I'm always resisting this, these changes. I'm always resisting this fear that at any moment, you know, what is the thing that's going to come along that's going to feel unbearable? And it's a challenging place and it's new. It's something that I haven't, it's it's become more prominent since I've had kids. I can say with certainty. It, yeah, it's so interesting because it's like there's this potential for something to happen, like incredible pain and suffering. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I too like worry about that. Like life can be so harsh, so harsh. Like, and it's impossible to know. I feel how I'm going to handle a situation that's at the top of the challenge ranking. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's the situation actually happening, you know, the potential for it to happen. But then there's also my tendency to uh, project and spend time <laughs> now considering, will I be okay? What if this happens? And what feels important to me is to see within myself, like how much of my time am I spent? Am I spending worrying about that? The potential of something to happen that may happen or may not happen, you know? And what is it doing to me to continue with this cycle of doing it? What, what happens when I have these fearful thoughts? Um, and how is that impacting my life? It's tricky. (laughs) Guilty as charged. Like I am a hundred percent 
guilty of that. The amount of time that I spend trying to like figure it out. Like if plan A happens, then what? And, and it's the irony of it is, is that if someone came to me with that same distress and that same feeling, right? Like I would have, if someone came to me and said like, where is God in all of that pain, in all of those things happening? My response would be in you, in you showing up with love and with kindness and with grace. That's where God resides in these tragedies and in the pain and the the suffering that happens. So on one hand, I feel perhaps it's a separateness. Like I, I see it. I see and feel God all around me and in the people around me and in the way, you know, light streams across the surface. And yet I myself, and that's why I say like the struggle in that relationship is not about God. That's very much me in my tenacity and my, maybe like, as we're talking about it, maybe it's like almost like an exclusion, like feeling separated from all of that. And I certainly have moments where I wonder, like my father and I have a a very, very, very difficult relationship in which we haven't spoken for about, gosh, 12 years now. And I often wonder how our relationships with our biological fathers impact our relationships, our, that interaction, that trust factor that we might have with our faith, right? When it's taught to us from a fatherly perspective. And mm-hmm. so I sometimes wonder about that. Because, I mean, growing up for me in that relationship, feeling angry wasn't allowed. Like it meant rejection and being shut out, and there'd be withdrawal and withholding of love, of validation, of affection, of approval, any of those things. And so it's possible that that wrestling to me, I immediately process it as being rejected. So I remove myself from the equation, if that makes sense. Being like, if I'm not understanding or agreeing all the time, feel like I'm rambling, but I'm having this like mm. mental processing as we're talking about it. Yeah, I know. But we'll, when I was reading your recent uh, post, it seemed like you took a turn or had maybe a realization of sorts of, of that, like within, within the pain and the anger and those emotions too, that that God is also there, that you're, you're finding like this, like new belief that like, Oh, where I thought that God wasn't, maybe God is. Um, yeah. I think what I noticed in it was, so for context or people who are just kind of reading or hearing about this post for the first time, 
I have always felt like I have failed in my faith because of how much frustration I bring to the table. You know, like just personally, we have experienced a fair bit of loss over the course of the pandemic from, from suicide, from people who just couldn't handle whatever was happening in their, in their minds. Right. And just, and that, that's, that's a struggle for me that I, I find that really, 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 really difficult to reconcile. And so I argue with God a lot and I've always felt a degree of failure in that because I don't know why exactly just it, it's felt counterintuitive to what I have grown to believe faith to be. And then recently I had this realization that I'm still going to God with that frustration though. Like even in my anger or my pain or my frustration, I didn't turn away from God though. I'm still going to him and it may be me kicking and screaming and asking for answers, but I'm still going in that direction. And I think that's where the parts I'm starting to be like, Oh, I feel like I'm losing my faith or feeling disconnected from it, but I have never moved away from it. I'm still maybe yelling at God, but I'm not ignoring him. I didn't turn my back on him. And that's the part that I'm starting to be like, oh, maybe there is a degree of connection there that I wasn't recognizing before because it was being masked by this projection of failure and disconnect. And that's what you want, uh, a connection with this higher force? I think for me, my greatest prayer has always been, you know, like that. It's the verse in the Bible that says to be in the world, but not of it. I feel so deeply impacted by everything that happens around us. And for me, my connection that I want is to feel anchored just here that I can still feel, um, peaceful and worthy and capable regardless of what's going on around me, regardless of the people around me or what people think of me. Right. And that's a hard lesson to learn often when, especially if you are building communities of many, many people, because they have many, many opinions of you. <laughs> and that can be really challenging to, to take sometimes. Um, and I don't want to lose that part of myself, that empathetic, gentle, a part of myself, because I, I feel like that's also what contributes to my gift of writing in that I can write and tell stories the way I do because of how deeply I feel the world, but I need to protect my heart because of it at the same time. It's kind of a double-edged sword in a way. Hmm. Hmm. Just like letting, letting this sit here. It's like, it's, it feels like dangerous territory. <laughs> it's like, I acknowledge, so? I, I acknowledge, uh, 
the benefit of tapping into my heart and having empathy and feeling other people and all of that. At the same time, there there's some danger here and I don't mm. want to be hurt either, right? You know what? I'm going to confess something here because as you're saying it, so I've struggled for a great deal of my life with very deep anxiety at times. I have seasons where it's, it's much lighter and I can navigate it through, you know, many coping mechanisms that I've built up over time, many of which are very healthy coping mechanisms. And I also have seasons that are very, very, very challenging. And I have always resisted medication because I'm afraid it's going to change how I write. Mm. I'm afraid that if I lessen that suffering, then mm. it will lessen or alter how I do my art. And, and so it becomes like, it's both the blessing and the burden. And I don't know if that's true, but I don't want to find out either. And have well, never you spoken don't want to find those out words out loud. <laughs> you, <laughs> <So. don't, laughs> you don't want to find out if it moves in a direction that you feel yeah. is less valuable. You do want yeah. to find out if it elevates. Yeah. You know, I um, think you might be interested in this. Like, <laughs> so in the... In the book that I wrote, um, a lot of the main characters are kids and they're going to this school and it's a very different kind of school. And they're having this conversation about God mm. and what is God. And, um, and they're trying to, to, to figure out what is, what is our relationship with God. And the place that they come to is that God is a place to go when I don't know. Mm. And they, they use the question mark as their symbol for God. So it becomes, you know, this relationship with something that is on a higher level than, than my mind. And it becomes very useful in, in that way because you know, my mind doesn't see everything and my mind doesn't know. And, and kind of, you know, like the example that you're using, like if I make a change in my life, like how is that going to impact what I, what I do? So ultimately I feel that, you know, faith is that, um, that leap, you know, into the unknown and, to try and be okay with it. Like I see that my mind plays against my whole life, everything that's, that's happening, Yes. you know, and my mind can see a lot, can know a lot. I'm fascinated by the ability of the mind, but it also can see such a small percentage of the picture. So am I like doubling down on my mind again? Or am I practicing acknowledging the small picture that I see 
and opening up to, well, I call it humility, really. Mm. That's so gorgeous. That's, you know, one of my favorite movies of all time is Contact. Mm. Matthew McConaughey. And yeah, I love that one too. Jodie Foster, right? And it, I love the scene in it where Matthew McConaughey is challenging Jodie Foster on like the existence of God. And she's just like, but how do you believe in something that you can't see and touch and prove? And then he asks her, do you believe in love? Like, do you love this person? And if so, prove it. And it's that moment where you're just like, we take leaps of faith all the time on people, right? And it's that, it's just this like instance in which you're confronted with something that feels tangible. Love feels tangible in so many ways, right? And I think what is coming up for me as I'm listening to you share about that and the the beautiful piece about the children and the question mark and stuff is one of the things I think I'm learning about myself is that I am a girl who loves God and doesn't always love the church. And faith and religion are two very different things and we don't often separate them, but they are very different, right? You can have faith and not go to church and you can go to church and not really have faith, right? These are not interchangeable terms. That being said, I also am deeply drawn to the church in many ways. Like, Part of my story when I became Catholic, like I actually used to sneak into churches when I was a a little girl. I was very daunted and overwhelmed by them. I wasn't raised in a church at all. And I'd see them and I would kind of like, I can always remember how heavy the doors would feel. And I'd pull on these doors and I would peek inside. And if nobody was there, I would go and sneak in. And I'd sit in the pews and, and I don't know what I was looking for. I just wanted to be there. And I liked looking at them. And I, I loved the smell of all of the, the old wood and the incense that would go through. And I was raised, I was born in Ottawa, raised in London, came back to Ottawa to go to university. And I found myself drawn to this particular church. And I don't even know how I found it or how I ended up there, but it was nowhere near where I lived. I didn't have a car or anything. So somehow I meandered my way over time and space to this beautiful big Catholic church that resides in one of the neighborhoods in Ottawa. And over time I ended up becoming friends with some of the people there and the priest there had connected with me a couple of times. And when we finally talked through like becoming Catholic, one of the things they needed to know was, have you been baptized before? And it's like, I'm pretty sure I have, but that was 
but I don't, I don't know. I don't know where, because it was really done out of obligation because I'm French Canadian and that's what you do. And I talked to my parents about it and neither one of them could remember where. And so they're like, all right, well, we'll, we'll look up, we'll go and look up some records. And, you know, like back then it would be paper records. We wouldn't have electronic ones. Your last name's fairly unique. So we'll, we'll, we'll start digging and see what we can find. Turns out, so when you become Catholic as an adult, you go through a program called RCIA, which is an entire year that is spent with the priests and a small group of other people becoming Catholic along with sponsors. Each person has a sponsor. And it's a really beautiful experience because you get the opportunity to ask questions, to have your doubts, to have your just to have a dialogue about what does this all mean so you can make sure it's the right thing for you. And we did it in this room, this, <laughs> this kind of half basement room tucked behind the main part of the church and had couches all the way around. And lo and behold, I was baptized in that exact room. Hmm. Of all the churches for me to find my way to as a 25 year old, it ended up being the church where I had been baptized as an infant. And I was doing, I had spent a whole year in the very room that I had been baptized in all this time. Like it's hmm. the wildest story to me. And it's so like, and I'm very much drawn to that sort of tradition and, the celebration that comes with that kind of community. And I struggle with it a lot too. I struggle with a lot of what happens within church and how we as imperfect humans have can turn on each other so quickly in the name of what we believe to be true. Right. When really it comes down to grace for me anyways, it's such a huge component of, spirituality and God and the church. And yet we kind of, we lose it piece by piece. And so I think probably a big part of my own wrestling is trying to figure out like, where is that place I get to land when going to church doesn't always feel safe. I still love it, but it doesn't always feel like the safe place to be. It's a lot, Avi. It's a lot. <laughs> it's yeah, a lot. Thank, you for, thank you for sharing. A lot of so rumblings. That, I love that it was the same room. Yeah. Wow. Those are, those are moments that open you up to something happening. <laughs> on I know. Level, I get goosebumps you know? every time I think about it. We ended up getting married well, one thing there, that I feel, too. That I, that I feel is important um, is, you know, is God something just outside of me, you know, like, it, mm. how do you feel about that with like the concept that like you are also a part of this thing or is that not the case? There's a separation. <laughs> so my short answer is yes. Yes. I believe 
that it, God is in everything? The long answer is yes, but <laughs> my ego gets in the way. My ego, my pain, my fear gets in the way of the, that acceptance, right? That I think as a human, it's really challenging for me sometimes to accept the idea of unconditional love, like truly unconditional love. And I think that, right, gets that would in contain the, way. the ego, yeah. even the ego in itself would be a part yeah. of that and aspect of it. Right. Yeah, I had um, a friend challenge me one time to something that was really, really interesting. Um, I find the Bible fascinating. And I'm one of those people, though, where I, I, I don't hesitate to say I take it seriously, but I don't take it literally. Right? Like, as a storyteller myself, I, you know, I recognize that these are stories that have been passed on over time. And, and yet it it's still deeply impactful. And someone challenged me one time to read through the Bible, but switch the words, Jesus for love mm-hmm. and Satan for fear. Mm-hmm. And they challenged me. They said, I challenge you to find a single passage in which you could switch out those words and it would still, it still wouldn't work. And I have yet to find it. And that feels really important to me. And I'm still navigating my way through that. And when I look at faith and spirituality and even religion, for that matter, through the lens of fear and love, right, I have an easier time because even if you you know you dive into like religious studies and whatnot the entity of Jesus in some capacities I think creates a, a block for me because it becomes that human component again or my ego gets in the way and I I kind of I struggle with that but fear and love I can wrap my brain around for whatever reason, I can wrap my heart around it and my, my being. And it feels like there's a, an energy there that I can move with and belong to. The, the love in particular or both energies? Both. Ooh, both. <laughs> and I have to, yeah. and as a person who feels life very deeply I have to be very very careful sometimes to with the discernment over which one's guiding me like it's Mm -hmm. very easy for me to think I'm being led by my intuition but really I'm being guided by my fear Hmm. yeah you know another word I feel is important maybe in this conversation is control I think oh, control is yes. <laughs> like my relationship to control is very, very important and also tricky to try to figure out like, what do I control and what do I not control? Yeah. Oh, I'm terrible for that. Like I'm such a control freak with things like that. 
then that's probably because the fear is strong. Like when the, when the fear is strong, I want to expand my control in order to alleviate the fear. Right. Mm. You know, I, I just finished reading Zachary Levi's memoir, radical love. And he is very beautifully transparent and open about his struggles with anxiety and depression, um, growing up and then really coming to a head as an adult, as an actor in Hollywood and, and whatnot. And he made this really interesting statement. He said he concluded that there's two kinds of people who struggle with anxiety. There's the people who struggle with, they feel anxiety over what they can control. And then there's mm. the people who have anxiety over the things they can't control. Right. So there's the people who are like, I'm in paralysis because I, I have a decision to make and I'm worried I'm going to make the wrong one. Or what if I stack these plates in the wrong place? And then it's not like where they get this paralysis over all the things they can control. And then there's people like myself who struggle with the things that I can't control. Now the, the plot twist all of that is that sure I can't control the outcome. I can't control what happens, but I do have a great deal of control over what that experience is for me and how I make that experience for other people, right? If tragedy strikes our family, how I respond to that will deeply impact how my children experience it and how the people around me experience it. My guess would be both is ha happening. At least definitely that's the case for me. Mm. I have anxiety about both of those things. I can't put myself in one camp or another. I definitely find myself stressing about potentials that are outside of my control. And then also stressing about like, what do I, what do I control? And am <laughs> I giving this enough focus consideration? Um, that's that so can be overwhelming eh? too. I mean, it's like constant. <laughs> it's like this this constant thing that's happening. It's like this is life. <laughs> like this 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 is life. But I will say that I've gotten kind of you know more to your to your point that you're making. I think I found a lot of peace in seeing very clearly that what I control most intimately is myself, mm. and therefore it makes the most sense to invest in me so that this being that I carry around with me everywhere that I go has the best chance to stay centered um, no matter what life is going to uh, throw at me, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think for me, the eternal act of faith for me is constantly just working on surrender all the time. All yeah. You talk about surrender and wanting to be able to do it more, right? Like, and even oh. I felt maybe kind of like some admiration for others who maybe have an easier time with surrendering than, than, than you do. Um, I guess my first question around surrender is, do you feel like you've made some strides? Like where you are now, do you feel like you're more surrendered than you were some years ago? Not so much. <laughs> I 
Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm le- I don't know. I don't know. It's, you know, my mother-in-law is a beautiful vessel of faith. And no matter what happens in her life, she's always like, well, come what may, we'll deal with it as it comes. Right? Like she's, and it's not to say that she wouldn't feel worried, upset, anxious, but she is surrendered to the present moment, right? She's like, this is what's in front of us right now. And so let's just be here. And I have moments when I'm like that. I have moments where I can say to myself, we're not there yet. Um, I think the last few years, especially with all the anxiety and stress and really the trauma that the world as a whole has gone through and not just like acute trauma, but like the chronic trauma of never knowing what's going to happen when it's going to end or like just society as a whole feels very, um, restless and fragile, volatile right now. And I think that creates a lot of anxiety. Just as a whole, I think I feel very afraid of surrendering almost like I don't want to let my guard down in, in those, that first year of the pandemic, especially I didn't feel like I could. And now to speak to what you're, you were talking about regarding the mind, it's almost like I've programmed myself to feel that way. And now I have to unlearn those things Hmm. right now. I have to reprogram my mind for peace to be the default for serenity to be the default and surrender, right? Like, neuroplasticity is a very real thing, but that is also a lot of work and it takes a lot of practice. Like I didn't become an anxious control freak overnight. So I can't get to the other side overnight either, but Mm -hmm. having that patience can be, can be trying at times, but I have had moments in my past where I've very much been just, it's okay. And, Right now, in this moment, I am safe and I have everything I need and we'll deal with the next moment as it comes. And then other seasons come along and that feels harder to do. Maybe there's layers to surrender. Mm. That's what I'm wondering about now. Tell me more about that. Is it possible to surrender to the part of me that can't surrender? Yes. Yes, yes. I mean, there's this great book. I think it's David Hawkins. I've read it so, so, so many times. And it's not an easy read. It's very thick. But it talks about just that. About you you have to surrender and let go in pieces. Because... You know, some days are lighter than others and just the act of resistance alone, you have to, okay, just resist 
the act of like, or let go of the act of not being able to let go. (laughs) Yeah. Do it bit by bit and slowly get there. That's what I love about it. It's so, it's so deep that practice of, of letting go or surrendering. I'll tell you what really helps me actually. Please do. Is realizing that it's already surrendered. Mm. This is, this is my, my belief. There's ultimately there's, there's nothing to surrender to. It's actually more to the point is, is to remember that it is already surrendered. Mm. Like, um, so has all, that always been yeah. true for you? Oh no, not at all. That's totally a discovery. A hundred percent. I don't know when it actually happened, but it's, it's coming to believe that ultimately there's nothing to take credit for. This is my belief. Mm. Okay. Uh, which has been so freeing. So I don't feel that I created myself. And this flies in the face of Western culture. I I know that and how I I grew up like super motivated and like, I'm going to do this and I want to acclaim and status. All that is for, for my ego and how to operate differently than that has been, I mean, I'm working on it all the time. I'm retraining myself to remember that there's nothing to take credit for, right? Because I feel that I didn't create myself, like the way that my mind, I'm just trying to survive as best I can throughout my whole life and everything that's happening. And it's in my self-interest to make as uh, the number of quality decisions that I can make and all those decisions, you know, influence who, who I am, but like that whole entire process, like what is there to take credit for? Ultimately, I can't come to any answer around that around taking credit. I, I, I don't feel like, you know, and, and because my answer to the, the question that I asked you is also that, you know, I am an aspect of God. I am a part of it. So like, what is this me? What is this whole me thing? You know, that question It's like, okay, I'm just a part of planet earth is the way that I see a very cool part, the part that I love, <laughs> but I'm still earth matter. And this I'll is how it's created. This is how I operate. And, and so it's just, it's surrender. So I'm just, I'm just remembering my practice is to remember that I'm just on this ride. So relax. Have you read Michael Singer's most recent book, Living Untethered? No, just the untethered soul. Yeah. So the sequel, I'm looking at it right now on my Yes. Living untethered. Oh, it's so, it is perfection in regards to that whole idea that it's not personal. Yeah. Like this moment, you and me sitting here talking to each other is, has been a billion years in the making, Mm. right? Like all the things that had to happen to make this exact moment come together is both a complete miracle and it's not personal all at the same time, right? Like it's so, (laughs) it's so, it's so wild and beautiful and really difficult to wrap your brain around when you think about mortgage payments and raising teenagers and you Mm. get caught up in all of those small things, right? Like even, you know, I go through this struggle every time I publish something new. So after my first book came out, 
I went through like a really dark few months after like, and I think part of it is just the nature of my personality where I work really, 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 really hard. Like I have really good work ethics that I'm very proud of because it really helps me to follow through on things. But the coming down of that after can be really difficult. And right now with this magazine, with Gray and Granite, you know, like I believe with my entire being that this is something that I'm supposed to be doing to be offering a platform for new storytellers and for people who want to to bravely share their story in a place that feels safe and is cared for alongside them as they're shaping that story because everyone starts somewhere, right? Everyone was brand new at one point in time. And I know for myself as a photographer and a writer, someone took a chance on me as a completely unheard of writer or a completely unheard of photographer. They chose me and they said, we trust you and we want you to to come in and, and to capture this for us. So for me, it feels super important to do that in return. And it's terrifying. At the same time, it's terrifying when you get given this, this dream or this gift and you're so patiently waiting for the breakthrough that allows it to grow and become what you believe it can be. And patience is hard, right? Like, and so the most recent issue came out on Sunday and I catch myself having a couple days of just being like, just as you said, where your mind works against you, you're like, are enough people ordering it? Is it going to get anywhere? Is it going to fail before it even grows wings and is able to take off? Right? Like, and it's just that constant chatter that never ends in our head that kind of interferes with that miraculous moment that came to exist because all of life happened and here we are, right? Like it's, we're so good at getting in our own way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's the truth. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's why I love meditation so much. I'm training myself to rest the mind, to prioritize that, that space of, of nothing if I can, because I see how much I suffer from the constant thoughts and, and worries and all that. Um, I really want to ask you about, uh, vulnerability. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and building community too. Sure, um, yeah. so what's the link there between, you know, creating a space where people can feel vulnerable and the health, the well-being uh, of a community and what you found, you know, leading the way, because you write a lot and you're very vulnerable. So clearly you value being vulnerable. So I guess that's my first question too. Like, why do you value vulnerability? And then what ripple effects have you noticed from, from being vulnerable? Well, I think, I think my value of vulnerability comes from having tried really, really, really hard to live a life that just looked good on the outside. It didn't matter how it felt on the inside. Like it just, as long as everything 
looked perfect, was perfect, then it, then that's all that mattered. And it almost broke me to, to try to do that. And I found that the more I tried to do it, just the more insecure I started to feel because I felt so isolated and alone in a lot of what I was struggling with. And some of those struggles were just very ordinary struggles, like, you know, parenting things or having a falling out with a friend or something like that. And some of those were, were much bigger struggles, health scares and losing loved ones, you know. But when I created this wall around myself, I wasn't really keeping everyone out. I was keeping myself in. And eventually, and I don't even, it's kind of a strange story how it came to be, but I was a wedding photographer for about 10 years, eight to 10 years full time. And another photographer friend of mine, we had, um, we were discussing about how everyone views wedding photographers. Like, oh, it's so great. You get paid thousands of dollars to show up for a day and just snap pictures of everybody. And that's your life. How perfect and wonderful, right? Like, so here we were living out this profession that amplified this looking good on the outside image that I was already struggling with. And she was choosing to, um, to release a series on her blog about what it's really like to, to be a wedding photographer. And yes, it's immensely beautiful. And it's a privilege to share that day with people whatnot. And it's also really, really hard in so many ways. And there's so much behind the scenes that you don't see. So when she asked me to contribute to it, I had gone through the blog and looked at previous posts. And a lot of it was about just that photography in general. And so I chose to just take it in a different direction and talk about just me as a person. This is the the feedback I get often from people about my life. And here's what lies behind the veil that I don't share. And some of them are really small things. Like, I'm like, I don't like trying new foods. So I travel with my own jar of peanut butter. And other ones were like, I actually feel really insecure most of the time in being a wife and being a mother and a friend and all of those things. So I posted that and shared it with her. And then three months later, I posted it on Facebook. And that post went viral in a completely um, crazy and very overwhelming way. And that was the foundation for the community that we have now. And I think what that speaks to is the fact that so many other people shared very similar feelings. And for myself, I have healed through the process of writing within community. And I found that it was, I connected better with others 
by sharing the vulnerable parts of myself than through sharing the really polished, made up parts of myself. And it's not to say, though, that those beautiful, polished parts aren't real, too. Right? Like, I, I don't ever want people to be like, don't share that happy, beautiful family photo that you have because it doesn't have your pile of dirty laundry in it. No, that also matters. And life is messy and complicated and we need to hold on to those beautiful moments where you're all laughing together, eating ice mm. cream, because that's incredibly important. I think it's just about creating space for your whole self to show up instead of mm. feeling like you can only show up with one part of yourself. And then back to the faith too, I feel like is so important in this actually. So it's like, is my mind running, running the show? Like, um, that I think is what creates that compartmentalization, you know, like only mm. this part of, I'm going to figure out what other people want to see and how they're going to have a positive impression on me. So I think they're, they're going to like me and think well of me if I only show them this, you know, but to really move into faith is to say, this is what's happening inside of me. I don't know how you're going to react to it, but I'm just letting it out simply because it feels good to be honest and we'll see what happens. Yeah. It feels good to show your heart. Right? Like how often has one of us, you know, we have a broken relationship or someone we haven't been in touch with. How many of us have sat there and been like, oh, I just really want to text them to be like, I just wanted you to know that I miss you and I'm thinking of you. And we don't because we're afraid we'll get rejected. Or they'll just ignore us. Right? But it actually like, it feels good to our souls and to our bodies to be whatever it is we are in that moment and to, to have that very real experience of being human. And I find when we do it in community even more, right? if you can make one person feel less alone in the world, right, then I think that matters. And again, it's that it helps to make it less personal, right? It's, I mean, it's both miraculous and it's not personal at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like we all struggle with such familiar, um, feelings, be it, you know, fear, pain, shame, whatever it is. And when we start to like open up about it and hold space for that and, invite people in as their whole selves, then I think we spend less time in those places because mm. now we've kind of released it. We've let it go, surrendered it right layer by layer. And maybe a piece of that is doing it with people. Like I had to have a beautiful friend of mine. I was sharing with her about my, my struggle with my faith just over the weekend. And she's like, that's good. That's all cool. Don't worry. You can borrow some of mine. <laughs> borrow some of my faith and that's fine. 
And mm. I love that. I love that. You know, the idea that we don't have to carry everything on our own. And that includes our faith. And that includes believing in our dreams, right? There has absolutely been times when other people have believed in my ability to write more than I have. And that has carried me where they have believed in faith enough for both of us. And I think that's what community does is that we lock arms and help bear the weight that is being human, right? Being human can be really hard, but belonging to humanity makes it a lot easier. I think so too. Yeah. The, the, the loneliness I found to be the most challenging aspect of this experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so to feel less alone, to feel a part of it, we're in this together, which I think is the truth anyway. Um, it's everything. Um, yeah. Well, and it's interesting. Michael Singer talks about that in his book. He talks about the fact that like we can send people to space and we can build skyscrapers and we can cure diseases, but we have yet to ever create anything that can read your mind, Mm. which means that we all have these inner worlds that are completely private and that no one else sees or hears or knows about unless we tell them, unless we open up and share them. And otherwise, if we don't, that can be an incredibly isolating place especially if it's not a friendly place Hmm. right if it feels like a dark neighborhood and you're walking through that all by yourself (sighs) like the only way that you allow someone to shine a light in there is if you let them in and that hit me like a ton of bricks because i was like that's right we have that choice like that's, that's on us, all of that, when we have whatever we've created in here, whatever is happening in our inner worlds, that's on us, whether or not we let other people see and belong and share in that. Wow, that's big. It is that's big. big. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, very big one. Thank you so much, Jen. I've so Thank appreciated you. this time. Um, what's the best way? that you feel for, for people to, uh, connect with you if they would like to more. Gosh, well, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, our large community is on Facebook. That's where most of the connection happens in, um, more of a dialogue sort of way. So you can just look me up my name, Genevieve Jalja. Um, and please consider this your invitation to come and join us and become part of the conversation or just observe can that's fine too. You know, if you just want to watch and there's a lot to be said for, um, finding solace and just seeing conversation happen and opening up too. And even if you don't want to engage in it with us, that's okay. Yeah. I actually think that's a beautiful first step is just to observe for a while and then, you feel yeah. call, if you feel called to to dive in, then 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 do that. So. Yeah. 
Oh, that's great. Thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate everything you're doing. It's, a, you. it's an honor to uh, be connected with you. Such a fun conversation. Wow. Went down some rabbit holes there, right? Eh? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well, please feel free to share and subscribe.